song, love that song, hey, hey. Welcome back to my Mrs. Maisel Pod. This is Kevin Pollock. I'm your host. Oh, yeah. How are you? How, how have you been? Are, are, you, are you okay? Is everyone all right? Um, I hope this is a good time for us to spend a little time together. Uh, we're, we're, you've chosen to uh, dial us up. So thank you for that. Very, very much. How, how did you find out about the podcast? Oh, I'm very curious about that. Would you write to me and let me know? That, that, let's make that the question, please. Um, and then any comment or advice you might have, write to me with all of that. I'm Mrs. Mazapod at gmail.com. This is Kevin Pollock, your host. I think I mentioned that, but you know what? I can't mention it. This is Kevin Pollock. I got to work on that. Um, yeah. Love, love reading your emails. I'll be reading one a little later. Um, but first, let's uh, let's get to our guest. Maren Henkel is an Emmy-nominated actress who has done some exceptional work throughout her career. And then to watch her as Rose Weissman is a joy and a privilege uh, on set. To watch her on the show is riveting and compelling. I love her as a person. She's very caring and nurturing to cast and crew. Um, it comes through, I think, in our conversations. She was kind enough to answer a couple of your emails. So if you have any questions, any more questions from Marin, please write in my at gmail.com. Any questions from Marin? Um, but yeah, let's get to uh, Marin and I breaking down season three, episode two, here on my Mrs. Maisel Pod. Enjoy. And now, ladies and Jews, please welcome Marn Henkel. <laughs> Hi, Marn. <laughs> How Hi. are you? <laughs> I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, you're in New York, I'm in LA. That's true. Sometimes we're in the same, the same city. And we live... In, in Los Angeles, not too far from each other, as it turns out. Yeah. And how many how many years was it of working on the show before we kind of looked at each other like, wait, you're on the very street that my son like goes to school at and I pass it every day? Yeah. So, you know, it, it took five years. It, it is sort of it's sort of nutty that way. Also, to just to realize that you and I were the only um, main cast who who live full time in Los Angeles. That's right. Um, um yeah. Our dear beloved Alex now sort of does, but actually right. had lived in Barcelona for the sort of the bulk of our work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, listen, thanks for joining us today. Very, very uh, excited. We've talked about you coming on now since I started. Now this is episode 21. It's incredible. And, and we're up to season three, episode two. Yeah. Um, which you are just spectacular in, but we'll get to that. Let's start by, I love the Genesis story of, of everyone and everything. So how did this Maisel universe mm -hmm. originally come, uh, come your way? Yeah. Um, it's, it, well, I love, you know, I, I see you, Kevin. I think I'm going to be as honest as I can. So I'm going to be very honest and tell you a story, which isn't necessarily funny. I hope that's okay. But it's, 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 it's from the heart. So I, um, after two and a half men, 12 years of being on it, I, when that wrapped, um, 
And I don't necessarily think this was a depression about that. I was really ready to move on to something else, but something happened in my body that went out of sorts and I developed a whole lot of pain, like physiological nerve pain. And so for actually a year and a half, I did not work. That's the longest I've ever gone, kind of almost lost the health insurance. And then I get sent like two auditions. One was for this wonderful piece called um, Speechless, yeah, uh, which was with Minnie Driver um, and, um, uh, John Bowie, whole amazing group. And the other was actually for, for this show that is called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I don't know, but this never happens in my life, but the gods were there to say, you have got to sort of help your body get out of this hard state. And I actually ended up booking both, but now I'm gonna go back and say, I, I traveled um, to the Valley, I think for the audition, actually, I'd love to hear someday how, how you're, oh, you, you were probably just offered it. Actually, most of the cast I believe was just offered the role, but for me, I had to travel and audition. And I really wanted, I, you know, I've gone to grad school a gazillion years ago, I'm a dinosaur. So when I was like a mini dinosaur and they taught us that, you know, sometimes for roles that are real character pieces, it's great to give a real sense and flavor of the distance away from self. So I didn't even want to like look like myself at all. So I donned a wig. I went mm. to a costume shop on the west side of LA that um, I think I hope post COVID is still open. It's like a Halloween shop over on Venice or Washington. And I got these robes that were like beautiful. I'm sure kids wore them for um, like to play like the Snow Queen or Snow White or something. And it was a velvet robe. And the, the, the actual description of the character was something like Rose enters the room as if in her own MGM like musical. And she also, that was the, you know, the description, the description, but she also was wearing a robe in her mm. first scene. Mm. And so I didn't really have a fancy robe. So I put on, um, I just went for it in the audition. I really was like, as if I was, you know, doing some big Broadway show. Mm -hmm. I don't always do that, but I, I, it was like no, no holes barred. So I walked in and I put it on tape. And then I thought to myself, like, I'm just too loony right now. There's no way from not having worked in ages, I'll ever get this. But I had the best time in the room with um, the, the person who was putting me on tape, Jeannie Backrack. And yeah. then I heard, I heard word that I was being flown to New York. And I was like, okay, here we go. So I flew to New York and met um, Amy and Dan. And I did just a few, a few pages of work for them. And I again, went to like a costume shop in New York. I just thought, okay, I'm gonna get a, like a new costume. I think it was a new scene. And uh, it was like a secondhand clothing store. So I was doing all this crazy stuff. I don't always do this, um, but I went into the room and did the audition for them and it went okay, but they worked on like, a, let's say 25 lines. I think they worked on maybe like 26 of them. Mm. Now they really seriously like wanted every word and every line to be as you and I know how the show works. They wanted it to be perfect and really kind of choreographed and they had an idea and I was an ex-dancer. So I was like, I'm here for you, whatever you need me to do. But then I left and went home and I heard, you know, I didn't get the role. So I was like, okay. But um, then I don't even know this story. And then all of a sudden, no. like a few days later, it was like, actually, it's down to a few people and you still are in the mix. So they want to see you again. And I was like, all right, free airfare. And so I got to New York again <laughs> and I had my, now we're on my third audition and I went in and I didn't read with, you know, some, I know Rachel read with a group of women that were playing Rose. I did not even get to read with Rachel. Um, but I, I, I went in and got back on a plane and then probably heard a little while later that I got the role. So sorry, that wasn't that funny or anything. It just, no, no, no. It was, very, it was a very heartfelt, like I gave everything yeah. that I had to it partially because for so long I hadn't worked that at that point, you're sort of like, I don't care if people are like laughing at me with wig, the wig on, 
and with this costume shop that, oh, I even like took a feather boa and, and like sewed that one on. I mean, I went all the way. I'm not even sure I returned that costume. So I feel like guilty that the, that the costume yeah. shop is like hearing this for the first time and gonna charge me like an arm and a leg. But anyway, so that's my story. And then I got the role. And then I realized I was, I don't know if I knew I was doing, you know, opposite like Tony Shalhoub and who I like loved. And I think when I even flew to New York, I saw him and what play he was doing at the time. I mean, he's just incredible. So I, I and Rachel Brosnahan was, I'd seen her at like a like at a restaurant and been in awe of her, kind of you know like fell in love with her, like one of those, you know, crushes you have on talent and beauty. So I didn't really know those guys, but then when I got to find out I was working with them, I did like back backflips. Yeah, yeah. Listen, forget the. I'm sorry, it's funny. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I understand when you're talking to me, you feel an obligation. Because you're funny. very funny. <laughs> we know you're but, very funny. But that's not this. This is okay. really it's sharing like sharing um, experiences and insights in the Maisel universe. You know, it's specifically for fans of the show who have seen every episode more than once, and they just want us to sort of drill down, as they say, yeah. on on anything and everything. Quite yeah. frankly, and so your candor is deeply appreciated. Well, um, then I'm gonna. May I even go so far as to say it was. Oh, yeah. The, the chronic pain, which I had never had, mm. it's so hard because it's like that a terrible, you know, headache, a migraine, or it circles around and gets looms bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you really do have to distract yourself. And so yeah. I, when I got on set for Maisel, I was still so scared. I was never going to be able to, in that amount of pain, like play a role that isn't in pain. Right. So it was like my private secret, like, okay, Rose has some pain. And I, I never really shared that, but I was like, inside, she's got some stuff. But the incredible thing is, it was the place in my life that I didn't really feel that pained because I was so happy. And yeah. it's incredible the level of distraction from positive that can like counteract when you're when something is just quite negative. So it, yeah. was, it was like a huge lifesaver. Really. Absolutely. And by the way, um, Rose always seems to have a little something going on under yes. the surface. Yes. Sometimes it's pain and sometimes it's something else. Something else like drink. But she I don't I don't have yeah. issue at all with she may be harboring some very, very secret, quiet pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? Yep. Um and so your experience shooting the pilot um was what? You know, I've done a number of pilots in my life and um, I was just talking to somebody about this. Who was it that said that they didn't really think the show was going to go? Who um, was, was it you? No, you didn't tell me this, but who, who I was so stunned that it was, it was one of like the main cast members. I'm just sort of being spacey about who it was. Oh, maybe it was Tony or Michael or something. Mm -hmm. And um, I had I had the opposite, and I'm a pessimist. I'm like an eternal, like nothing's ever going to go that I'm part of. Um, but this one, like I, I felt it was a little otherworldly. Like I was like, I'm being trans. Well, obviously, because you're transported to another time and era. And I couldn't believe the level of detail. Like I don't think I'd ever. I hadn't done a lot of period work for camera. But I could not believe that cracks, like on floors, had been created to mirror cracks 
in buildings, you know, and I couldn't believe when we had the wedding scene, which of course they apparently cast like two people to play you guys in that, right? Did you know that? Well, they might have in their minds. There's no reference to them within the show. I see. Right. It was like, we just need Joel's parents, but we're just going to cast a couple people, but we haven't had the real actors. We'll wait till they actually, the show gets picked up to yeah. hire them. Right. Sure. But um, th that wedding was so stunning. It was more beautiful than any wedding I'd ever been to. So I, I thought, well, if you're going to put this much care, love, effort, and good writing and talent into a place, it has to go. It has to fly. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt so I like was dancing on air I thought this is really going to work and then I think afterwards people said oh Amazon has a whole slew of product and people are going to vote on it and, and I thought oh dear now I don't really trust that the customer is going to be able to figure out if this is the right show or not but you know lo and behold they they actually they voted apparently or I don't know maybe do you think yeah. that really happened? yeah no I, I not only do, do is that what happened but I kind of prefer it when you throw the pilot up for gobs and gobs of people. As a writer and producer, I've been on the other side of a pilot, not just in front of the camera, where they do these, these testing um, small sampling, like they'll put eight people in a room that, that are there because there was air conditioning and free sandwiches, mm -hmm. um, right? And, yeah. and um, I remember standing next to the guy who was running the tests and we're looking at literally through a two-way mirror right you could watch these, people watching yeah uh -huh. and i just turned to him and said as a stand-up comedian who's been touring for decades and i'll do three to five shows over a weekend and i could face three to five different audiences mm -hmm. and the exact same bit will have three to five different reactions so yeah. you're telling me this group of eight is the only opinions that matter for the future of the earth. This is insanity. Yeah. So the idea of thousands of people weighing in because a pilot is up on a portal. Yeah. That sounds way better to me. And also executives have, have never had a creative moment in their lives <laughs> for the most part. Uh -huh. uh, generalizing, of course. Um, so, you know, they need results uh, mm -hmm. that are data that they can then point to and say it wasn't my fault right we, we had this data right it's there so yeah so the more data the better i vote mm -hmm. um yeah so they put it up on on the i don't know that amazon actually still does that i you know, i don't think they do no I, not when they're saying they're gonna have, spend two billion on i was gonna say now they have the dragons and the the, the rings and the lords and the you know yeah yeah the little hobbits I don't know. So, I, but also like Jack Reacher, I don't know that they tested. Right, that. I don't think that was decided by the yeah. general public. Yeah, but we um, lucked out. We lucked out because somebody, you know, they liked it, and and then you know, I felt like, yeah, it was. It was, it was probably Tony, by the way, who said I didn't think this was going to go because when I, I you know why it might. He, oh yeah, well he and I had never met prior uh -huh. to this, which is crazy and weird, but also. I could explain it away by saying you either were going to hire him or me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, over the many uh, years. So I remember from, from the day one, he said, yeah, I just thought the Jews on the Upper West Side would watch this. Right. I remember that. Yeah. He's so funny because he's so 
he's the most successful actor I think I've almost ever worked with. He just is so, he seems like he can just like breathe and whatever he touches is the greatest success. And it's Meredith, he's, he's that special. But he definitely yeah. always has this feeling of, not sure that, you know, well, where everyone does, apparently even Meryl Streep has that, but you know, this feeling of like, I don't know if it's gonna, anyone's gonna like this, not sure anyone's gonna, like, you know what I mean? But you're kind of like, Tony, you're, you're so good. So, yeah. everybody, you know, anyway, you get yeah. it. Yes. Well, I like, oh, but I do uh, celebrate the fact that he's tortured. That makes me yes, happy. That's tor tortured. Right. That normalizes him. Otherwise he would just, right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want him to go the other way. No, no. Uh, that would be bad. Um, so thank you for also for revisiting episode two of season three. Um, you know, we were picked up to two seasons from pilot, mm -hmm. um, not knowing while we were shooting those first two seasons, what Amazon was in the television business, what Amazon would continue to be. We didn't, we just knew that we were doing good work and it looks special. And Amy and Dan told us that their marching orders were make it look like a movie every week and money was just going to fall out of Bezos pocket into the budget. And um, we could make it all on his, on the loose change that falls out every day. Um, so they just kept going back to his couch and getting all the money necessary. <laughs> um, but by the time we get to season three shooting yeah. the show is a massive success. Yeah. Um, Worldwide, in fact, I when I Jamie Fox, our one of my creative producer and uh, on this research genius, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the research showed like reviews or whatever um, from different episodes on IMDb or in other places, and just this episode alone had like eight reviews from critics. It said. Um, and I just tapped on that just to, who are these critics, right? Yeah. Because, because of the internet, everyone's a critic, but I thought, is this, are these real critics? Not only were they legit, there were eight of them and they were from eight different countries. Oh my God. Exactly. And then <laughs> that's the weird aspect. that's all brand new about an experience for, for me. And I'm sure you would agree the, the international audience not, you know, when we do the press, you know, this last time, you know, not just one news outlet from India, three. Right. Um, and so on. So I, before we delve into the uh, uh, yeah. episode, I want to ask what, what your experience has been maybe with international fans in real life. Is there anything yeah. that comes to mind when you've been accosted? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I don't really, and I wonder if you, you're looking at me right now, and obviously since we're on a podcast, that's not happening, people are listening. You don't look like your I, character? I don't look like my character. So I've had a number of times where I'm walking down the red carpet with Tony, for instance, because they were used to pair us together. Yeah. And, um, and then like, this has really happened. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you what happened. So we get to somebody that's doing the, the you know, interview and they say to Tony something like they're really kind to him. And then they say, and you, what did, cause they can't remember my name. And they're like, what did you think when Tony came home to give you the word that he got this great show? Oh God. And I was like, 
Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I'm not actually his wife. Oh, um, her name is Brooke Adams. She's phenomenal, but like, I'm actually the one who plays Rose. So I've had that happen a number of times. So then, so I'll back it up and say, I don't really get recognized very, very much. Yeah. So I get to watch, um, like, even if we're in a gathered group our, with our cast, I sometimes mm. have watched everybody talk about the different characters and then sort of I'm on the side and I don't, you know, people don't tend to think it's me unless I'm sort of saying, I'm Rose, I'm Rose. Well, as someone who doesn't change their look at all, <laughs> I stop yelling in real life from the way I do on the show, but the look doesn't change. And so- And where are you funnier in real life, do you think? Or equally, I think ooh, so ooh. funny, both worlds. But You would have to, uh, Jamie would probably say I'm funnier on the show. Oh uh, no. Uh, um, but but, yeah. but we, we've had every age group and, <clears throat> excuse me every corner of the globe recognizes you um just will come up and say something about the show hmm. in a greek restaurant in new york you know <laughs> excuse me you okay mm -hmm. yeah well maybe you know as we finish and i need work um maybe i need to like go with you more often and just like go to various parties and let you kind of remind people that i'm hopefully a valuable person that needs, you know, continued uh, hiring. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to put you back in the wig. <laughs> That's right. I just see a different time. We're going to put you back in the wig. I mean, these are, these are real simple fixes. I love you. You know why? Cause I'm writing this down is like, Maybe that's a slogan in a few weeks because we're, you know, as we all know, I'm finishing. We're all finishing in about a month, so I'm gonna have like a T-shirt that says "Got to be back in the wig," <laughs> and then hopefully I'll get another job. But that's but right. back to your point, I will say this: that I remember when at my son's school, and he was in an elementary school uh, or maybe middle school or something, when the show started to be a bit of a hit. So the teachers there did recognize, or maybe, well, actually, I'll tell you two things. One is. Um, Randall, my husband was uh, at, at the beginning of the show home and was in a band with somebody who had known me for 10 years. And he came over and there was a pillow that said Maisel that we had gotten from one of yeah. our best things. And he actually said, God, I love that show. Now, why do you have that show? <laughs> <laughs> and you, went, you ran in the and other room, like, um, in, in my version, you run in the other room and you put the wig on and you yeah, come yeah, back right. on. Yeah, yeah, right, put the wig on, come back and go, you know, right? Like, hey. Um, yeah. or Miriam. Um, yeah, but anyway, my son's school, the teachers were talking at one point in kind of a like a hallway about how much they love this new show. And a couple of them were just like going on and on about it. And then I think it was Ben, who's my son, who's now in college, that goes to show that dates the mm -hmm. whole thing. And he was like, wait, are you talking about Maisel? And they're like, yeah. And he was like, you know, and they really knew me because I'm picking up my kid every day and I'm very involved in the school. And they said, that's my mom. And the teachers were went, what, what, what? And I have to say, I did sort of get a different level of respect there, which was kind of nice for- <laughs> I treat you Not that one needs a whole lot of respect, but, but yeah. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, it helps me that I've paid someone to follow behind me with a sign that says- <laughs> AKA right yeah um all right so let's let's uh let's jump into a little season three episode sure. two sure um how much fun by the way you probably hadn't seen the episode oh my god I don't think I'd ever seen it before which is funny oh. really watch the show I I hate I, you know I don't like watching myself but I love watching you guys 
So I do watch stuff and sort of fast forward it. But because we were doing this, and I didn't quite know how detailed your questions were going to be. I figured you might ask about me. So I figured I kind of had to watch my scenes. And there were stuff that I was really surprised because they CGI so much, you know, because we didn't obviously go to Oklahoma. At one point, apparently we were going to go to Oklahoma. Yeah. Finances didn't let and all that. And so we had to pretend that Staten Island was in Oklahoma. We had to have the, what kind of animal was that? Was that a bison that I, that I see as I'm driving along or no? It was some kind of big moose or something, but that wasn't really there. I was just pretending to look out at that. Look at me, the magic of television. We're telling the viewers and everything and people listening that, um, I so so much of it when I got to see it I was like oh my god that's so much fun to have the oil refinery there that I never saw because I was in this open field you know yeah right that part was great to see but I will I will say the audience that I had absolutely no idea my character was from Oklahoma that was never shared with me until we got you know whatever the day of getting the script which is usually what a day before Mm-hmm. the read through which is usually the day before we start working on an episode and I had imagined my character was from certainly New York and if it wasn't New York it was going to be another east coast you yeah. know down in Connecticut or potentially Boston or something like that so that's the layer of what I had I thought of her as sort of the Jewish Catherine Hepburn or something well and that's she, certainly how she had been written and and yeah. I would say portrayed yeah. very stoic um yeah and a, a woman of great principle. So then it's sort of also, you know, part of the land didn't throw me. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was fun that first they used the word Providence. She's gone to Providence. Oh, yes. And then they revealed Providence, Oklahoma. So there's even a second level of, of she's not where you think she's from. Right. Yeah, I wonder what would have happened if any of us would have gone to Amy and Dan when we first started shooting and said, so... How about a little backstory on my character? Yeah. I think Rachel did do that, right? When you have you spoken to her yes for your podcast? Or not, not yet. No, busy. yeah. She's too busy, but um, she will find time, I know. But mm-hmm. um, I think she got some better, better backstory. Certainly she knew well, stuff was already written in for the backstory, like Bryn Mar and all that. But I think maybe I had asked at one point, like, where am I from? And they sort of like twinkled, you know, eyes looking at me, and I and I and they probably knew that there was gonna be some reveal. Um, but I, I felt a little guilty that I hadn't had a, a bit of a Southern accent, you know, that I had not layered in a little Oklahoma thing. Well, I felt, I, I did not feel betrayed by that just because it instantly made sense to me that the type of character we've come to, to know and love of mm-hmm. Rose Weissman mm-hmm. is one who would have refined Oklahoma out of her voice within 24 minutes That's of exactly landing right. in Manhattan. That's exactly right. And certainly by going to France and having, you know, yes. she had her art classes and her dance. I mean, we, we knew she did in season two, but I think she obviously studied there, as we know, in the past. And so she yeah. would have definitely affected, if anything, a European accent, which sometimes I, I have layered in because sometimes I, my, my words trip up and I'm, I'm kind of one of those um, uh, folks, what's it called, that malaprop. Uh-huh. In real life, I'm a malapropy. I like say things wrong. And sometimes even with Rose, I put weird accents on things. And I think, well, maybe that's because she's getting so far away from her Oklahoma roots that she, you know, makes little mistakes. But um, I didn't know I had brothers. That was really kind of interesting. I always thought she seemed like the kind of woman that would have a lot of sisters. Again, another surprise. Yeah, there's also a chance that Amy and Dan completely and thoroughly pulled yeah. the entire universe. 
yep. from, from whence Rose came out of their ass. You know what, that you say this, Kev? I think it's possible that, tell me if you heard this, is it possible Bill Groom is from Oklahoma, our extraordinary production designer? Our multi-award winning, who I've spoken to on this podcast and agreed to come back. So when he does, I will ask him. You know what, ask him, because I yeah. think it's possible that they may have looked at him one day and said, what do you know well? I may, yeah. I'm making this completely up. And he well, was I like, love it. Oh, Oklahoma. And then they were like, okay, there's where Rose is from. You know, I don't know. I'm just sort of making this up. But I think I heard some weird story. It, it was almost that random. Well, um, listen, how great is Luke Kirby? I don't think anyone watching him in this part would think mm -hmm. he's from Newfoundland. I know. Canada. No, Canadian. I know. You know, that, that place is so off the beaten track. They yeah. have a unique time zone. Did you know that? I did not. What do you mean? It's like no other place in the whole world has the same time zone as Newfoundland. Yeah, it's huh. it's an hour and a half. Huh. Different That's than New York than New York. Big. No, yeah. I have to go there just in <laughs> They're the only one I've heard of that has a half hour difference. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Which is just perfect. Um, that, that sort of explains his wonderful quirkiness. Yeah, but I don't even when I talk to him as himself, which mm -hmm we have here and yeah. he'll, be, he'll be coming back as well. You know, there's no, there's no Newfoundland in there. My point being, it yes, makes all the sense in the world, not just for actors to remove their accents, but for socialites, which let's face it, Rose became. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so, oh, so the episode begins uh, in the Gaslight Cafe where Midge's set is going so well, she decides to mock comedians' catchphrases. And really, it's a slap at Sophie, and then it's a slap at Susie. Because mm -hmm. um, I know you mentioned, you know, you hadn't seen the episode. It's it's interesting. We go to table reads, but then the scenes were not in. Who the hell remembers any of this? So I'm I'm curious as you're watching other relationships on the show like that opening scene yeah. what um their like dynamic is just so specific isn't it i loved i i didn't remember i mean as the series went on there was more tension that they that they pushed out between Susie and midge i mm. hadn't remembered it started as early as the third season um and so in this particular episode there is quite a bit because i think she's feeling so betrayed about uh Susie's focus on on Sophie, right? Yes. And also, I would assume the pressures of this pending tour. Right. You know, the, the, stre the stress tour. of that makes you, I think, lash out for other reasons. Right. And then there's the picture that they find that uh, Joel finds it when oh, yeah. right. And um, the, so that photograph that she feels kind of sort of abused by that, not being taken care of. Um, yeah, I I I really I was sort of taken by I was taken by the level of intense fraught you know closeness but also you know delicacy that that relationship already had in that in that third season and they really are like lovers I mean I'm sure everybody tells you that they really really are it's like that's the relationship you watch and just being like are they together today or are they not together today you know what I mean and I need them to be together because I love them so much but on the other hand they're really great when they're not together too because I love them fighting you know so either way is kind of um, um, incredible to watch yeah um, and they both, they have looks with each other that like really are 
are so loving and also so passionate. Although then I'm going to, well, I'll jump forward, but then you can, when you, we get to it, we'll get to it. So the scene with the judge, who's actually played by a very good friend of mine, Michael Gaston, who, by the way, is a husband to one of our writers, Kate Fodor. Did you know that? I didn't. And please tell Michael that I just think his work in this scene is e exemplary. He's so, he, he was great. Even I remember the day, because I've known him for so many years, decades, we were at grad school together. And he did the read-through of the judge that one day and landed it in the read-through. That doesn't always happen, you know? Yeah. We, Sometimes you have to work a few more weeks and get on set, but he landed it perfectly. And he was amazing getting to see the performance he gave. And it's so funny. And it's also like, he's so um, unpredictable in the fact that you can't believe the judge is rooting for their relationship. You know, like, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? You're so in love with each other. You're still caring about each other. Don't, don't part. You know, usually he's, I love how he's like, usually people are just so like ready to get divorced, but not you guys, what are you doing here? You know? And then he's kind of mad that Susie is like causing all the tension. He's like, you two, I would give a grant a divorce to you guys, yeah. can do it, but not you two. Yeah. It was like, he was talking to his own children. Yeah, that's the, that's that was the mm -hmm. the the it was the care and, and love of a parent. Yeah. And it started out, I felt like his performance was stop wasting my time. Uh huh. It does. Which was a, more of a selfish angle. Yeah. And then it did emotionally evolve to talking to his children, which was just great. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Just a side note here. My mom is a judge. And um, she was a lawyer when I was growing up, went to law school when I was young, then lawyer, and then she has all sorts of different um, parts for her wonderful career. And she still is practicing. She's a mediator now. But it's funny because I'd have to ask her, I don't think she's seen this particular season, but I'd, I'd definitely love to say, hey, mom, have you ever gotten that emotion? You're not supposed to be emotionally attached, of course, to your, you know, your clients who you're working with and those that are in front. But I wonder if she ever sometimes gets, she's so professional that she doesn't share that she does, but I wonder if there's ever times when she, and she's also, by the way, she doesn't deal with divorce, but like if she's got a, 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 a adversaries working against each other, I wonder if she sometimes sees that they could really get along and she probably would be like, well, I mean, they're supposed to help support, but be like, you guys, come on, go home, have a glass of wine. Yeah. Get better, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but pretty, yeah. I pretty did, amazing. I did love that part of it. Um, the second scene is, is in, in the Weissman apartment and I, it's, it's so well done in its ability to unnerve the viewer mm -hmm. while it's unnerving Midge that her home is being basically occupied by enemy forces in these, these, um, subversives. Let's yeah. Call. The subversives who are right? super who are so, you know, I have, as I told you, a child who just went off to college and I visited him once and actually just today, I'm moving in New York right now and I'm like temporarily, you know, got this spot and he wrote me today and he was like, hey mom, like six of my friends want to come, you know, spend the weekend. And of course, because I love him so much and he depends not to reach out to me very much. I was like, six friends in an apartment that I don't really know very well, like to this weekend. And yeah, it was yeah. because I just watched the scene this morning. I was thinking like that that's kind of what that scene is, is probably what my, my yeah. 19 year old college kid with his six or seven friends would do like the drinking and the smoking and the philosophizing and the, you yep. know, like talking about communism and like, None of us are gonna, you know, we're all gonna rebel against everything. And then they probably would yell out to me like, hey, can we order? 
Yeah. Like what kind of food? Like, and can you go pick it up? And wait yeah. a minute, like, do you happen to have like more ice cream? You know, that whole sense that I love with those guys, which they're like yelling at Zelda that they need more coffee and more deliveries at the same time as saying, you know, take off your nice clothes. Yeah, the, this, the, the, the way they wrote the evolution throughout this episode of the subversives in this apartment that's mm -hmm. considerably more luxurious than we, we we must assume any of them live in. Yeah. Unless they're complete phonies and yeah. also live in the lap of luxury with their yeah. parents. Um, yeah, it's it's beautifully played, quite frankly. Um, you mentioned about the the photo. Yeah. In the next scene at Maisel and Roth, when when um, Joel is walking out with Ethan, it's Ethan who's standing there looking at pointing at the one of the workers right. lockers and says mommy mommy, yeah, mommy mommy what yeah. a great way again the the writing constantly delights me with you know the objection of the the scene is you know let's reveal somehow that there that um there's a newspaper picture of midge from from the opening of season three mm -hmm. and the moment we saw her climb onto that jeep and the wind blew up her dress and somebody took a photo we knew this was going to be bad yeah, yeah. right with it that one in. it wasn't and the fact that it that. takes a couple of episodes for it to turn bad i also enjoyed yeah and then again the creative notion of you know how do we reveal this piece of newspaper you know that becomes a source of uh agony for joel and then agony for joel and midge and ultimately as you mentioned agony for midge and susie um but can i say something about the photos if they're so they're so brilliant in that they 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 put these they being amy and dan yeah. they add these like little absolutely comic details like well i'm going to put it out there when they say the thing about it being sticky Yes, of you know, course. And they and they and they don't even just do it once because there's like that ooh, and then like the second time when Susie they bring it to Susie, she's like ooh, this is sticky, and they yeah. just they just like move right through it. So it's not mm -hmm. like you know I worked in for years in in you know much more traditional sitcom, and those kind of jokes would be very landed with like a little bit of exclamation mark to them. You know that because you and I both done that stuff, and it would be like massage so we can really hear it. And I love with Amy and Dan, it's just kind of like, you throw it away, throw it away, just keep moving through the scene, you know? Yep, sticky, yep, yep, yep. Oh, and I also wanted to say something, Kevin, about, we, you know, we talk about all those great actors that were playing those roles of the students and the, what, what would yeah. be the, what were they? But also there's Tony for a minute. I just want to talk about something about him. I always say this when people ask what it's like working with him. And so I'm going to share it again on this podcast. He's so childlike in the yeah. best way. Like I think of him as the little prince. And by that, I don't mean the little prince, like he treats himself so prince-like, but the, like the exuberant, like the little the petite prince. So, cause he lands from, you know, above onto our planet and everything is a delight, like the baobab trees or the airplane or whatever. And, and he, he is so um, in those scenes, he's younger even than those, yeah. those other students around him. And delighted by their ideas. And that's how he is as a performer and person. Yeah. And I have said this, that if someone gave me the choice, like, oh, you could work with like a gazillion different actors, 
you know, is having like this partner as a husband wife team for the rest of your life. Or you could have Tony Shalhoub for every single thing for the rest of your life. I'd actually be like, I'll take Tony because every day is a discovery with him. It's never old. It's never creaky. It's never cynical. It never feels like he's not happy in utterly like discovering at work. Do do you agree with me on this? A hundred percent. Yeah. And it hasn't been really talked about on the podcast. So thank you for yeah he's just like each day we just shot a scene last week and um it was kind of a big scene for him and and it was this thing where i saw how much he was caring about it and you know we're in our second to last episode and i thought oh my god here it is season five and he's so not jaded he's so not being like okay look at the watch you know when are we done no it's like me no his is a work ethic that is unparalleled in terms of the work itself so within the moments on camera mm-hmm. um i am seeing someone who is wholly present but also making the most possible most from every uh nuance yeah uh yeah, yeah. an extraordinary actor and and you're right. There is a childlike, not childish, no. um, delight to his being in the universe mm-hmm. in front of the camera that, um, yeah, you don't often see. Yeah. And it's an inspiration to yeah. be around. It, it certainly is. lifts the level of my game. Yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you, from from that, we do end up, with with Rosie, she's been mm-hmm. given breakfast. We see the toast in its little um what do they call those little beautiful mm-hmm. silver racks? I know where the toast sit. We should all still have those. We we work with those on the set, and I always think, God, this is beautiful. Why don't <laughs> we have that? Right? Nobody has any time anymore. Well, it's such presentation mm-hmm. and and for what ultimately becomes the question. But it just instantly in the visual sense um subconsciously or subtly tells us she's always the princess mm-hmm. and she's still the princess she's come home and she's the princess and then that's how everyone you know from the moment she gets out of the car in the earlier scene when the staff is treating her like a delicate flower that's you know and, and the beautiful car that they put me in with the chauffeur that picks oh me my. up bring me there i mean that was so gorgeous that was like honestly one of the most beautiful cars i'd ever been in and we weren't even moving it was just a green screen but i still was in awe yeah. i have to say i'm going to add this to Mar- Mar- marguerite derricks i think is the pronunciation and forgive me marguerite if you listen to this and i'm mispronouncing but she's our choreographer and you know she does these amazing have you worked with her on the show have you done they any- won't let me dance and it's to everyone's oh. advantage i promise no yeah i haven't worked with her either but no no, no i meant on your podcast have you brought her in no i'd love to have her on yeah Yeah. so i think that would be amazing particularly in the seasons where there's so much movement but what i was going to say is remember how in this episode they do and i can't i can't remember if we jumped over this but the scene with the exercise um thing where you've got um bailey and um rachel's character so um what's bailey's character's name again i just forgot it uh um I just forgot it. What is oh, it? Oh, damn it. You took it out of my brain. I know. Too. It's like it was right there. Such a significant role. And she's so brilliant. At Bailey DeYoung is the, um, anyway, when they're doing their little exercise. Imaging. Imaging. Imaging, of course. So when yep. she's doing her exercise stuff, that stuff is so perfectly choreographed. And I watched, yep. I actually rewatched it because I went, 
I couldn't, like, you would pay me a million dollars. I couldn't have done that more than once. Yes. And then to match it every time with the fast language, those guys are such a so genius in that. But here's what's funny is Dan Addius directed this episode. So it wasn't Dan or Amy. And it was another, you know, wonderful director that they had brought in. And so he didn't know some of the details of our show to the degree that obviously Amy and Dan do. And when we got to me exiting the limo and entering the house with all the people around taking my coat and putting on a blanket, I suddenly realized, uh-oh, we didn't get choreography for this. Like they oh, wow. brought in the choreographer because it, I was supposed to be going to the right and the people were going to the left and like the lines were, you know, in our usual kind of choreographed fashion with lines. And I, I did feel badly for Dan because he, you know, probably in the other scenes that he was directing, they had given the choreographer to him, but not that one. And it was a little late that day because I thought, uh-oh, we better figure out how to do choreography quickly. Yeah. So anyway, I just throw that in because I, I did have a moment going, what? where's our choreographer for Rose in her entrance to Oklahoma? Yeah. So were I to re ask for a reshoot of that episode, it's not that it doesn't look great. In the end, it does. But the guidance she gives to that beauty of dancing almost, mm. yeah. I, I would have, it would have been wonderful to have those beautiful, you know, that's- well, of course. And that's a great suggestion. I will reach out. Yeah. So when we redo the entire series, mm -hmm. right? You know, we go back to Paris and we go to the Catskills. I definitely want to be choreographed when I arrive at in New yeah. Yes, please. But I do love this the moment where you go from the toast in the racks to putting on the boots. Yeah. And the hat to join your brother. So you were out in a field in Staten Island. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we did. That. We got that's exactly right. I've only been to Staten Island a couple of times, but that's where we were shooting it. And, and it was a field where in just uh, an open field or someone's yard or field. I mean, honestly, I'm now forgetting if the um, house, which was a separate location. So we didn't shoot the, the, the place we walked, you know, was different mm -hmm. from obviously it wasn't like, you know, how that always works. The movie magic of like where you live yeah. and where you go outside are not the same places, but um, the house I believe also was on Staten Island and um, Paul Adelstein played my brother, one of my brothers. And then what was the other, his last name was Ser Cerverus was the other um, actor. And I will think of it. Um, and he was amazing too. And, but it was funny because they, we were obviously, we put on cowboy boots and the way yeah. you walk in a cowboy boot is like so different than anything Rose has ever walked in. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of, I watched this being the first time I ever watched myself in this, I watched myself look like I, I'm drunk because when I'm walking on the ground, it's like Rose doesn't know how to walk in something flat, you know, cause her boot is so different than her usual high heel. But also the flatness of New York, yes. everywhere yes. you walk yes. is almost paved. That's right. And, and it also helps sell uh, that she hasn't been home. That's right. And this, in fact, there's a line where Rose says, please, I know I grew up near here. And I thought, yeah, wasn't this her childhood home? But I guess not. We don't know that for sure. But when she says, I grew up near here, it's kind of solidifies. This was not yeah. her childhood home. Yeah. Um, not the family home. Yeah. And by the way, I just remembered who's it's Todd Severus is the one who's in the um, yeah in the actual room that the board the boardroom board room yeah. and that little boy in that scene too the little boy's great oh, oh he's great <laughs> i mean no, 
terrible. I had to be mean to him and I'm, I really can't be mean to children. So there had to be a lot of apology prior and after. Mm-hmm. Love kids. Yeah, that, that treatment of Rosie in the boardroom and, mm. and ultimately the way she stands up for herself. Yeah. And the dismissal, the, the, the almost the fun that they're having with their dismissiveness. Yeah. Um, could, couldn't have been played too big for me. I, I, I loved the sort of over the top nature of their behavior. Yeah, they were it, horrendous to me. It really does speak to what men were capable of in that, yeah. that time. Yeah, they were just like, okay, go sit down over there. Uh-huh, go sit down. Yeah, and, and, and a tiny bit of truth to you haven't been here. That's true. Like, I'm we, not part of it. Right. Yeah. I love when Rose says, you know, like, hold on, grandmama hasn't been here in so long, and this seat has been empty, and why haven't I been invited to it, you know? I, I mean, love that. Yeah, I love it too. And she's sort of like, well, and who sits here now? Nobody. So let me sit here. Yeah, and I do love also that Amy and Dan went to the length of, if I can have a seat at this table and I'm not a, really a part of this family, yeah, then take your money and shove it. It's fantastic. It's so, uh, it really it's, changed everything for Rose and Abe. And it's funny, I hadn't thought of it because I hadn't seen the episode, but that's when they kind of really lose the money because the money, the, the house had been given by Columbia, I believe. Oh, yes. And so when that job goes away, because he chooses to say goodbye, then we lose the support, which is hence why, of course, I go try and get more money. Um, but obviously, we learn at the beginning of the season that Rose is like writing off, you know, she's supporting all this other stuff. Yeah. But it is amazing that then for the rest of the series, and we only have, we got one more episode to be told what's going on. So maybe this is a surprise, but they never really kind of get money back, except both of them start being slightly successful in their work lives, but not to the level of success that Rose would have had from her family trust, you know? So she, she changes everything for the family right then. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting choice and I feel it comes a, a bit short-sighted and from frustration and anger yeah. and resentment towards these people um, because she has just as much right to stand up for herself and say, you need to give me all of my trust fund right, right now. It's That's mine. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and, and it, it's a bold choice but it's a way to be independent and i felt that was the sting of what abe went through and that is the sting now of what rose has chosen mm -hmm. to go through and the beautiful sweet loving irony of their independence which is ultimately what midge has been going through from the beginning and continues through to the end mm -hmm. um it's it's not something they're they're born of and they're finding they're each finding it at these different places in their lives and you know what's you know it's really complicated kevin i'm agreeing with you i'm thinking about the scene again i hadn't seen this but it kind of made me think oh would i have shot this differently there's a few moments in the series where i get very complex it's very confusing to me like the gray area of what Rose is going through. And I'm gonna give the example of, so when she comes home and she's done the train and the plane and she has that line, like, I've just come from a travel odyssey of biblical proportion, which is <laughs> such a great, like, I enjoyed that so much. And they had my hair for the first and maybe only time in the series. Yeah. They had my hair a mess. Yeah. And they had 
Um, oh, funny enough, it's the closest I think I've ever looked to myself. To your reels, yeah. No, my hair is a complete mess in real life and it never is on the show. Um, and then my, you know, makeup was slightly smeared and my clothes were sort of disheveled. And again, similar to Maren Hinkle, not to Rose. <laughs> nice man. Um, so, but basically when, um, when that scene happens, I, um, sort, I sort, sort, sort of just lost my train of thought a little bit. I, I sat there thinking about, is that true? I just put myself down. Is that okay that I just put myself on, down on, on, on this? I'm not video? sure we get more real than that. Than, than that, right. Yeah. Um, we were talking about claiming your independence and and yes okay thank you and in, in times in which something happens in the writing that i wasn't clear of my character gets really distraught and upset at her daughter and sort of blames her and goes like i'm so mad at you for making me independent right and i, right. I think when i first saw the writing i thought like oh i'm gonna play that with a different level of like 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 as if she sort of says, says it, but doesn't believe it. So it's both things. It's like you, you know, when in life we say something, but we kind of love what we're, what we've become. Like, I hate you for making me, you know, stronger. And so I probably tried doing that take. And I don't remember if Dan had gotten word from Amy or Dan, but like, they really wanted me apparently to be like, like an F you yeah. for making me have independence. It's because beautiful. I don't really want to be that. And it reminded me of a scene that was also very hard to play in a way, which was when I came home from Paris and I went to Colombia and I was meeting up with all the young women saying to them, you know what, guys, important for you guys to not really study so hard because what you really need are husbands. Yeah, yes. Sort of the opposite of where I thought Rose was. Yeah. And so, but like when I was, when I asked that to Dan, um, you know, Palladino and to Amy Sherman Palladino, I was like, why are, why is this not more clear? And I think their answer was a little bit like, you know, they didn't say it like this, but like, that's life. Like, it's not that like straight lined, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you take a few steps forward and you also go backwards a little bit. And that's kind of that, that scene when I watched it, I was like, oh my God, Rose is so funny and weird that this great thing just happened to her in a way. I mean, it's obviously she lost the money, but like she's finding something in terms of confidence, and she's so mad at her daughter for giving her this new found independence. You well, know? because we also take one step forward and two steps back in life in terms of our insecurities and our fears. And that's what I think is what's lashing out at Midge. Yeah. And I usually take one step forward and like 12 steps backwards. So then it's like a lot longer for me to, I'm like a, such a tortoise. Well, we just need to going. get you back in the wig. So yeah, back in the wig, back in the wig. <laughs> But th th these are the insights I think that the fans have have no clue in mm. terms of mm -hmm. what what we're all going through in these various transformations. And um, and I agree with Amy and Dan's notion that it's a little more real in in all lives that they're not linear and we mm -hmm. adapt and we make these decisions in a moment. Mm -hmm. the way that Midge did to go on tour with Shy Baldwin yeah. right? and, and completely disregards and then has to deal with. So I'm just going to be alone. And then season two ends with, you know, Lenny singing all alone and, yeah. and um, you know, there, there are the, just these paths that, that we quote unquote choose to go on. Yeah or that we stumble over backwards into, or we luck box into, you know? And so I, I, I love the way that they keep throwing each and different one sort of at us 
um, even with Midge and Imogene, as you mentioned, back at the exercise class, in the time we saw them before that, she Imogene was in the hospital with the baby in the drawer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was so amazing. And um, yeah, I just, I, I, I do love their friendship also. Um, I love that, Bailey. And she's had, you know what, a three children, I think, in real life since wow, we started the show. Yeah. Like, bop, bop, bop. And first of all, I mean, I bet those kids, I mean, they're probably tiny, but like she, she, the kids might weigh more than she, she's so tiny, she, you know, she, she's so exquisite. She I just want her as a doll. The tiniest ever. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, back at the Weissman apartment mm -hmm. after the exercise class is when Rose returns to New York. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, which we talked about, and and um, yeah, why did you force me to be this independent? It's just so, so, so beautiful. And you know what's really fun about that scene is, um, beside what I said that my character could be as disheveled as Marin Hinkle is in real life, um, I really enjoyed being so kind of preoccupied with my journey. Mm. And, and the emotional like like destruction that I'm feeling about, uh, well, also probably the embarrassment that Rose actually isn't, you know, I, I actually made a little bit of a choice, which I'll share with the audience that, that I had accidentally like, couldn't get to the bathroom in time. So like, she's like, not even, you oh, know, great. she's in like such a bad state physically. Like she really isn't clean. She really has never gone without a shower in her life. And she's a little odorous. Yeah. You know, she's going through all that. But in the middle of that scene, not once, but twice, she sees the people that are the, like, yes. helping with the, you know, redoing the house or, and then the other person sleeping there. And it's, that was so much fun to play. Like, I'm so preoccupied. I'm such a navel gazer. I'm so self-involved. And who the hell is that? You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. I really enjoyed the duality of like, like, like she's stunned at who's in the house, but she's not going to, you know, she's going to go right back and jump on her own like bandwagon about it. So I, yeah. that was really that was really fun to play the different things like that, you know. Oh, of course. Oh, I forgot before the exercise class. There's the button club scene where Joel takes a baseball bat to break oh. through the wall and address oh, the gamblers. I, in the love that. I mean, oh my god! It it was just a reminder of their ability to spin all these different plates, all these different worlds, all under the same, um, you know lives intertwined and journeys that Joel is going through the, the <laughs> Your details are so good because he had had that wonderful baseball scene which which season yeah yeah, yeah. and so he's you can tell he's was like a great baseball player and then I love that he uses the baseball pad to go through and I love that scene which forgive me it's probably a little bit later or maybe it's right after that where he talks to Mays played by the extraordinary Stephanie Sue, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, of course. And she, who, by the way, might end up Academy Award nominated this year for everything, everywhere, all at once. That's but right. Anyway, let's put that out there in the universe. But Stephanie's parents on the show are so funny. I'm not sure they have any lines, but when they keep, he keeps moving the, um, Joel keeps moving the, yeah. move, the money forward to them. And then they keep, wait, which way is it? No, they keep moving the money forward to Joel and he keeps pushing it back. Yes. And I love how Amy and Dan always, allowed the audience to see such exquisite, like warm sides of Joel after they, you know, gave yeah. the pilot episode where he walks uh, uh, kind of uh, away from 
her and kills, you know, just like really kills her, her, her whole emotional life, but then it propels us to a show. So thank you for doing that, Joel. But I do think it's so great that like, he gets all this money. He's like, I don't want your money. That's not what I want. I don't want your money. Yeah. You know, I just love that little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. Um, now in between the two scenes with Joel mm -hmm. is uh, the shy Baldwin party. Oh yeah. Where we meet shy's manager reggie oh played by sterling oh yeah sterling k brown comes to the show and just destroys it's so killer like i don't know how many times i've ever gone to set for a guest star not that they aren't all amazing but it's hard to get to set as you know and i found a way when he was shooting mm -hmm. twice to make sure i got on set to watch his work Oh, he wow. Went to the same grad school. I went to NYU for graduate school and he did too. He's younger than me and, um, and a lot handsomer and more dashing than ever I could dream of being. And honestly, if he <laughs> were to run for political office, I'd vote for him. And I think he could run the world a lot better than the world is being run. But he basically is so charismatic that I wanted to watch everything that he shot. Yeah. And he never, I just disappointed. He just was so wonderful. And that first scene I'd never seen and you just are like rooting. You're like, I want to see a lot of scenes between Susie and him. You know? Yeah. yeah. He was Beautifully. Great. He was great. Um, yeah, he's just so uh, truly amazing. And that party is amazing. Yeah. Um, the Again, the detail, the set design, the production value uh, to celebrate this great, successful shy baldwin and his world that somehow midge and susie get to be a part of yeah. um and shy holding court on the couch introducing to mid introducing mids to the it's room to all the friends and everybody kind of delighting in her for them and just yeah. and all the hope there that's such a beautiful thing about the episode and we of course learn later on in the show that that's not you know it doesn't end well but it certainly the hope that they're going to be great friends, which they are at that point. It's a wonderful friendship. It's so thrilling that Amy and Dan wrote that and that it didn't sort of have to always hit your head, you know, over your head, like, and here's a black man who's, you know, and here's a white woman and we don't think they're going to get along and look at how they do. I, I don't know. They're just so great at the subtlety of what they developed in that friendship. And I loved watching the beginnings of it right there. Yeah. But then, speaking of which, Reggie is very clear to Susie yeah. how he uh, want, plans to run everything on the team. Yeah. yeah. That was so funny where she's asking for the money up front. He's like, yeah. nope, nope, not doing it, not doing yeah. it. And the kind of hierarchy between the two of them that she doesn't really know what she's doing to the degree that, of course, he does. And, she, and he will not do, he will not turn around and give her any of the things the way she needs them. It will only be at his, his you know, judgment. Yeah, his power is extraordinary yeah. in that. And then we go to that scene of the money being pushed back and forth. Yeah, her parents. Right. And we're we're just left to assume that's her parents. May plays her cards very close, and yeah. um, and uh, and our Michael Zegan certainly plays this scene masterfully. Yeah. Um, as does Stephanie, of course. Um, and you're right. The actors playing the parents are just spot on so perfect good. genius they, casting they started laughing like yeah. oh and then yeah. you really do wonder like because he says wait did you understand english this whole time and then <laughs> like, i think they did you know sure it's 
really great. Yeah. And then our last scene is uh, the stoop outside Shai's party and Susie and Midge are able to come to terms about Sophie. Yeah. There's something and... about a beautiful New York. I take it it's up in Harlem probably, right? I'm the not stoop. sure. I'm not sure if we that's specified what part of town it's in, but um, wait, is it supposed to be Shai's apartment or it's a friend? I can't quite remember. And yeah, pretty sure apartment it's... Is. But I had a... Um, Maybe it's one of my first film roles ever. Uh, it was Herb Gardner was doing a film version of I'm Not Rappaport with uh, Walter Matthau. Mm -hmm. He's just, he was in, in a miracle of funny, like you, Kevin. And I was supposed to be like a love interest in a flashback scene or something. And they had me sitting on a stoop, not saying mm -hmm. anything, just like the, ca the camera would go by. And I was just like supposed to be in like a little yellow dress. It was very early in my career. And it's not that I've, I mean, I'm much older now and worn out, but I still have that same sense of fear that I had that. But I remember like showing up on set in this, and we shot it in Harlem and we were, I was sitting in like a step that looked just like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking out because it was shot on location and feeling like this New York, because it was also shot, the, 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 the piece takes place, I think in like maybe the same time period, actually. Yeah. You know Herb Gardner's I'm Not Rappaport? Mm -hmm. Beautiful thing. Anyway, so I remember saying to myself like, New York in that time and then the buzz of the streets and then the lights and then when you get to shoot outdoors it's there's nothing better really there's no other way that's better for me to see New York than to sort of visit it like in time travel land and yeah. that's maybe the thing I'll maybe oh, I'll miss the cast and I'll miss the crew and I'll miss the writing I miss everything but I'll also miss what it means to see New York change to another time like to go back and history mm -hmm. yeah because um, in real life we don't get to do that right yeah you know well listen um how quick did this hour go by the way oh no did i cover anything that was important <laughs> that you liked i i mean i like oh could i make one statement which i'm sure others have made brian um tarantina is in this episode yeah right? he, and, they, and they so allowed jackie to have this moment of come to jesus with Susie saying you you need to you know look after your clients but you also need to to be ambitious you know and his yeah. his words of wisdom in it were so great to see again and to take yeah. in him and so i was i thank you for for encouraging me to watch it for the first time and to rewatch the show you know and to sort of get myself aware that this is like a little, as you said, little pieces of film each episode were little films. And I'm, I look forward in my time, sadly soon, to when I miss the show to just go back and watch you all. Well, listen, um, when I'm doing the, if you, you take a few days and if you decide this wasn't too painful, yeah. as I'm discussing season four, you'll come back and maybe by then we've already done shooting the show. <gasps> Oh. and and um it'll be a different experience to come back and, and i'll just weep through everything <laughs> we'll just have tears i don't know how interesting that would be for anyone to be like, <laughs> but I'll, yeah. I'll try and stop my tears to actually speak some truth oh god i not know it's so weird i'm not sure what's best to jump right into the next work or to completely take time off and how how much will i enjoy that time off and for how mm -hmm. long will i enjoy that time off before i want to be distracted i also feel we've earned a celebration 
for the rest of our lives. And there doesn't mm-hmm. need to be a rush to time off or work. We just need to to feel what yeah. we're going going through and then life will take us on the next journey. Yeah. I I I'm already have heard of some of the projects that some of our cast members are doing. You and I were discussing it before the podcast. And I kind of secretly think I'm just gonna you guys are family, my family now. And I've never been in a show, honestly, that gave me such a sense of family, partially because we traveled around with one another and had meals in different parts of the world with each other and visited each other's significant others and children if we had yeah. children. And I, that didn't happen on some of my other shows. Like I love, I've always loved the, all the great actors I've worked with, but I didn't get to know them in the private sense. You know, we went to work and we went home. And so I don't think I'm letting you go. So just so you know, you That's and, fair. and your whole any of your people in an entourage, I'm in all of the same with the cast. I'm just going to kind of fly and go to your next job. So even if you don't invite me to the camp, I'm going to be on your next show with okay. you, okay? Bringing you coffee. Sounds great. <laughs> well, um, again, I'm grateful, but also uh, love you and can't wait to talk to you again um, in person and over Zoom about the show, during the show, after the show. Thanks. and about everything else and uh, have coffee in our shared neighborhood thank you i look forward to that too and i send you so much love and thank you guys for listening who have listened to this and <laughs> um enjoy our enjoy our little show when you keep watching it yay yeah take it all, right. all right thank you okay well right i mean there you go. You, you, you work with somebody, you get to know them, then you sit down for a long conversation and you, you, you take your time sort of discussing the nuances of what it is you did together a few years prior. And, um, and the appreciation comes through, doesn't it, for the, the gratitude we both have for being a part of this world. I love talking to Martin Hinkle. And look forward to doing so again and again and again. Write to me and let me know what you thought. My Mrs. Mazelpod at gmail.com. I'm going to read one of your emails right now. With a question. This comes from Hilo Hawaii. From Andrew. I feel like I read an email from Hilo Hawaii. Is that possible, Andrew? That I, we've already... <laughs> God, help me. Some organization. Um, let's see. I don't think this question was asked or answered from from Andrew from Hilo, Hawaii. I noticed that a lot, he writes, hi Kevin, I noticed that a lot of the crew stayed on for all five seasons. I was wondering if that is common and what benefits that provides to the creative process. Well, good, good eye. Um, have not had that question uh, in, anywhere in emails or, or in life. Hey, I noticed the crew stayed together on the show. So here's the deal. If you get a great gig, as you've heard the, the people on the podcast say, you, yeah, you want to come back. So if you're allowed to come back, if you're invited to come back, you're coming back. And then the benefits are endless. But, but really, this was one of those shows that, yes, tended to keep everyone they could. Um, and uh, we evolved together. And that continuity year after year, uh, uh, not just in the key positions for each department, department heads, they're called, in the biz, 
and by the biz, I mean the industry. And by the industry, of course, I mean the business. And by the business, of course, I mean show business. I'll stop now. That continuity is exceptional and rare. And you hear other people who work on long-running shows talk about it. I hadn't experienced it before, and I will tell you, it is unbelievable. I mean, I, I've worked three, four months at, at most on a film, five months on the casino film. Um, but when you go back season after season, and then there's the same uh, people in, in, in all positions, uh, it's just, it, yeah, it, th there's a level of family that cannot be underestimated or underappreciated or undervalued, or um, underconversed. I'm going to attempt to not underconverse forever and ever about how wonderful that was. So thank you, Andrew, for bringing it from Hilo, Hawaii, for bringing that to my attention. That that is, there's yet another exceptional thing about this show with so much exceptional aspects. So much, I think so many. If those of you learning the English language, you're going to go with so many exceptional yeah, continue to write to us, please. Love your emails. And thank you, Andrew. My Mrs. Mazelpot at gmail.com. Um, great, great having you being in your ears and part of your life. Have you told everyone you've ever met? I sure would appreciate it. Rate and review. I love having you involved in the show, so please stay involved. It means the world. Until next time, until next episode, be kind to each other. See you in my dreams. Okay, closing credits time. My Mrs. Maisel Pod was created by me, your host, Kevin Pollack, research writer, producer, Jamie Fox, and our engineer, recording, post-production producer genius is Ken Plume. My Mrs. Maisel Pod is brought to you by the fine folks at Q Code. Q Code. Sounds like something, doesn't it? Oh, lastly, you should know. I'm told by legal to make this crystal clear that my Mrs. Maisel pod was not sanctioned in any way, shape, or form by Amazon Prime, nor the show's creators, Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino, although I feel the need to mention I did get their blessing. Okay, good. That should save me some legal. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.
Everyone needs a break from the real world. That's why we played games as kids, and that's why we should play games as adults. I'm Troy Lavalley. And I'm Joe O'Brien. And back in 2015, we started a podcast called The Glass Cannon Podcast, a show made up of comedians and actors playing a fantasy role-playing game. And now is the perfect time to start listening because we just started a brand new story. It's basically Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones meets X-Files. Search for The Glass Cannon Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Hey, life is hard, so come play pretend with us.